Well, good morning, church. Great to see you on a holiday weekend. You are the holiest of holiest people, okay? So just chalk that up right there. Showing up to church on a holiday weekend, you're good to go, okay? Uh, great to see you today. Those of you that are online with us this morning, we welcome you as, as well today and pray you'll just have had a great time worshiping with us and we hope to see you here in person uh, real soon. Uh, just a great time to be together. I want to say thanks to Eric and his team for helping us this morning. Great to have Eric back with us and one of our homegrown guys and uh, that's always, always fun uh, to have together. Well, if you came last week thinking, okay, Leviticus one week, what are they going to do next week? We're going to do Leviticus again. How many are excited about Leviticus? Uh, there's a few of you really godly people out there. Um, when Pastor Errol uh, sold this to us uh, a few months ago, and it was kind of an interesting to me, he's like, you know, this will be so cool, this will be so awesome, you know, I've gotten a lot of good resources and so many neat things, and, but he said, the funniest thing is, he said, I went home and I, he said, I told Julie about this, and she's like, Leviticus, you're going to teach Leviticus in the summertime? You're going to teach Leviticus, period? And we're all kind of giggling and laughing. I go home tell my wife, hey, we're doing Leviticus, I'm preaching the second week, say, Leviticus, why are you guys doing Leviticus? Who's going to listen to Leviticus? So we have a lot of great support at home, just to let you know. <laughs> a lot of great support. No, seriously, they are. But if nothing else, we are going to do this series to show our wives we can preach Leviticus, okay? And you're just along for the ride. You're just, you're on the, on the bandwagon with us today. But um, anyhow, Pastor Errol last week started us off on the series and just realizing that Leviticus, uh, as that intro video kind of tells us, is really a story of how a broken, sinful people like us have the opportunity to come close to a holy, perfect God. And what God does is put together some of the things that, in a sense, practices and traditions and rituals that help a broken people get a sense of how holy God is. Last week, Pastor Errol uh, shared the upper left-handed corner there of our chart that we're kind of working through on the ritual sacrifices and realizing that sacrifices kind of had a twofold uh, spectrum of them. Either they were sacrifices of saying, thank you, God, for what you've done and who you are and what you're doing in our lives, or they were sacrifices that said, God, I am sorry. I am sorry. I've messed up. And so I bring a sacrifice. What is so incredible, and as Pastor Earl shared this last week, is the reality that Jesus Christ came as the sacrificial lamb, that he fulfilled these sacrifices. That's why we don't go out and kill animals and put them on an altar anymore. Jesus Christ has taken care of that. He offered himself as a sacrifice. Well, this morning I get part two of this, and we're going to be looking on the other side here of the chart at the ritual feasts, seven feasts that God challenged the people to observe and to practice. Now, most of us don't realize it, but God is a God who enjoys a good party. You read the Old Testament, do you see a party God there? Not really. In fact, most of us, we'd look and go, man, that guy's got a scowl on his face, must be constantly just waiting to strike somebody that's messed up. Some of us might be sitting here this morning just waiting for the lightning to fall, okay? But the interesting thing is God is a God 
who calls his people to party. Doesn't that make you excited? Okay, well, let's get to it. Okay, I'm going to stop now before I lose everybody. God calls us to party. He doesn't call us to a disco party, but he does call us to a party to remember him. And what we're going to see through these seven feasts today that they're not just so much about the people enjoying themselves, but it's about the people enjoying themselves in a way that points directly to God and what he's doing amongst his people. If you've got your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23 today. We're going to just sit in this chapter the whole morning. And so if you have your Bibles, Leviticus 23. And beginning in verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Moses... Speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed feasts, the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. What is to come is God's listing of these seven feasts. And they are directly appointed by God. These weren't just, hey, if you feel like it, do this. No, God says, I'm commanding you. This is what I'm calling you to do. The word there that's used in the Hebrew is mo'adim. And mo'adim speaks to the idea of appointed time. He says, these are appointed times for you as a people. They are, in a sense, holy days. Days that are set aside, they're separate. That's what holy means, separate. God, when we say God is holy, we mean that God is separate from us. He is, is in his own category. And so, these days are holy days. They're to be different. They're not to be the regular routine of life. And that's why when we have holidays, it's something different. It's not the normal routine of life. So why in the world would God call his people to party? Think about this. Why do we party today? We celebrate birthdays, don't we? we as we get older, we don't like to as much, but we celebrate birthdays. We celebrate anniversaries. What are those for? They're to remember what God has done. They're to remember we've gotten another year older. They're to remember and celebrate what has come so far. And as well, look ahead. This week, we're celebrating the 4th of July. Anybody celebrating that this week? Yeah. What are we doing on the 4th of July? We're remembering and celebrating the freedom that we have. Now, let me just make a little side note here. Uh, the more and more I study, learn, and travel, I don't know about you, but I become more and more appreciative to the great land that we live in. We are a blessed people, my friends, to live in the United States of America. And I, I just say thank you to those of you that have served. In fact, if you've served in the military or served our government in some way, would you stand this morning? We'd like just to honor you and recognize you. Awesome, awesome, thank you friends. Our freedom doesn't come free. And as we celebrate the fourth this week, may we all just take a little extra moment to ponder and say, God, thank you. Thank you, thank you for the land in which we live and for those that have given so much for our freedom. The feasts of the Old Testament are this idea of 
God calling the people to, to remember what God has done for them, to remember where he has taken them from. He also has them to celebrate these feasts, to set them apart as a community. They weren't to celebrate the same holidays or festivals that the other nations around them were. He said, these are specifically for you because they remind you that you are God's people. And finally, really what is the ultimate role of these festivals is that they point to the Messiah. And so this morning, we're gonna go through all seven of these feasts in Leviticus 23. Are you ready for this? This is gonna be craziness this morning, okay? Uh, To get through these seven feasts. Granted, we're not gonna get too in depth on them. But we're gonna kind of divide and look at them each in three ways. What were the key features of the party? What did they do for the party? What was, it, what was it about? Then what was the remembrance? What was God wanting the people to celebrate and remember? And then ultimately, and this is really the key of why we're doing this message today, is to see how Jesus is pictured even in these ancient feasts and how he even comes and fulfills what these feasts were presenting. And so if you're ready with me this morning, we're going to dive into this today and uh, get ourselves set. The feasts are divided up into two sections. There's the spring feasts, which we're going to look at first, the Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, and Weeks, that are pretty much on our calendar, usually March, April, May. If you've ever wondered why Easter moves around on the calendar, it's because of this. Uh, because uh, the Jewish calendar is a different calendar than ours, and so the day of Passover and leavened bread are at different times, and so Easter uh, coincides with these, and so it moves around. And so what we're going to look at each of these is just the uniqueness of what God is spelling out. The first one, the Passover. The Passover. Leviticus 23, verses four and five, it says, these are the Lord's appointed feasts, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed times. The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. On the 14th of the first month, which is the month of Nisan in in the Jewish calendar, there is to be this one day celebration. And in Leviticus 23, we don't find out anything, what else was going on, what what were they supposed to do? If you look back at Exodus 12, you find the first celebration of the Passover. It was during the time of the Israelites' captivity in Egypt. And uh, remember the story when Charlton Heston came and saved them and all those kind of things, okay? Um, It's the story of Moses. But if you remember, the Israelites had been in bondage for 400 years as slaves in Egypt. And they cried out to God, and God finally sent them to deliver in Moses. And as Moses comes and calls to Pharaoh to deliver the people, Pharaoh continues to push back and go, no, I'm not letting the people go. And what does God do? He sends the 10 plagues that just on Egypt to get their attention to finally say, okay, uncle, uncle, we give up God, okay? The final plague was the most devastating as God sent his death angel to kill the firstborn of every family. How many firstborn out there today? You should be nervous. Okay, um, no, I'm just teasing. Okay, to kill the firstborn, and we're like, are you serious? But here's the mercy of God. God says, okay, 
This is going to happen, but here is how you can save your family. Here is how you can save your firstborn. He said, I want you to take a lamb, and I want you to uh, slaughter the lamb and take the blood and to put it over the door frames of your house. And when my death angel comes over, he will see that blood and he will pass over you. That's where we get the, uh, the name Passover. He will pass over you and he will not harm your family. And so the amazing thing is, this is a cel- one of the initiating celebrations that God instituted with the people. And part of the practice of this celebration, really the center of focus is this lamb. Interesting thing, although this was a one-day festival on the 14th, it really started four days earlier on the 10th because God would call the people to bring this little lamb into their home four days prior to Passover. And so guess what happens when you bring a little lamb or a little animal into your house for four days? Okay? All of a sudden, it's a family member. It has its name, middle name probably by then, and it's the love of your kid's life. So imagine the, the emotional meaning of this as this little lamb is a part of the family, but on the 14th day, on the day of Passover, the lamb is slaughtered. There's probably a lot of tears in the house. And the kids and the adults are reminded of the sacrifice that is made for them. We've had Seder dinners, which are kind of a recollection of Passover and other things here. There's lots of different things to the meal, but the centerpiece of the meal is the lamb. The lamb was to be roasted, and historians and scholars have shown that it wasn't just put on a spit like we would think of, you know, roast a lamb over a fire or something. It was put on a vertical stake and roasted, and it had a crossbar on it as well. Guess what that looks like? Cross. And that lamb would be cooked, and then that would be the main part of the meal for the Passover. The Passover's main significance was to remember the people of God's deliverance. That it came at a price, but that God delivered. This automatically shoots us right towards the realization of Jesus. Even John the Baptist, his cousin, when he saw Jesus coming, what did he say? He said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Jewish people that heard the words of John must have just perked up the Lamb of God. They they knew that that's part of the Passover. That's the Passover Lamb. And John pointing says, there is the true Lamb of God. As the Jews celebrate Passover for God's deliverance from Egypt, we have the wonderful privilege today to celebrate God's deliverance from sin, amen? God's deliverance from the bondages we've been in. We could sit here all day and week and month listening to stories of all what God has delivered us from. Now, we don't celebrate Passover on a regular basis, but what we do celebrate is the Lord's Supper, monthly communion, which is a takeoff of the Passover as Jesus fulfilled this and he said, this is my body, this is my blood which is shed for you. And we take that to remember the deliverance that Christ has brought The second feast, and I know this is going to sound like a lot of information this morning, it kind of is, but hang with me. 
begins in verse 6. It says, on the 15th day of that month, the Lord's Feast of Unleavened Bread begins. For seven days you must eat bread made without yeast. The key factor in this celebration that was seven days festival, it started right after Passover, right after. And it lasted for seven days in which they would take all the leaven out of their home, the yeast. There was to be no yeast in the cooking, no yeast in the home anywhere. In fact, traditional Jewish families will play a little game, kind of similar to our Easter egg hunt, where they'll take little pieces of bread and put them throughout the house and call the children, go, children, children, there's leaven in the home. Please find it. Please find it. And they'll run after, and when they find a piece of leaven, they'll call out, Father, Father, I have found leaven in the home. And he'll go, and with a little feather or brush, pick up that piece of bread, and they'll throw it into the fire. The reality is, is that God has a picture that he doesn't want leaven in the home. And the reality is, is throughout Scripture, we see yeast, see leaven as a picture that symbolizes sin. And through this Feast of Unleavened Bread, God is saying, if you want to come close to a holy God, you've got to get rid of the sin. The sin's got to be dealt with. The sin's got to be parted. The sin's got to be taken away. In the simplest of remembrances, this really is a remembrance of Israel's swift exodus out of Egypt. Uh, the, the, the Jewish uh, individuals celebrating this and the rabbis would say, you know, we left Egypt in such a hurry, we didn't even have time to put yeast in our bread. But more importantly is this picture of getting the sin out of our life. The Apostle Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians there at the bottom. He says, your boasting's not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old unleavened bread, with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Christ is pictured and not only pictured but fulfilled in this unleavened bread as he comes and he takes away the sins of his people. He rids them of the leaven of their life. You've heard us talk about matzah bread every once in a while. It's the Jewish bread that's without leaven. It's more like a cracker. But the amazing picture even that little cracker presents of Christ with its stripes and its pierceness, how Jesus himself broke that bread and his own body was broken for us. We see Christ pictured even in this ceremony of unleavened bread. The next ceremony is that of the first fruits. And this party is a harvest festival with waving of grains of sheaf. Now, we're not an agricultural culture so much here at NBC. We might have a few farmers here and there intermingled with us, but for most of us, we're city slickers. Okay? And we sometimes have a hard time gravitating and understanding, oh, what is this all about? But this was an agricultural co community where everything was about agriculture. And God knows that, and he uses that to speak to the people. What this would happen at this festival is that they would run out into the field, and when the first harvest was ready, which was usually barley, they would find the first sheaves that seemed ready to harvest, and they would harvest them, wrap them in a red cord, and they would bring them to the priest, and the priest would weigh that before the Lord. 
wave it before the Lord, thanking God for his provision that he has provided again for his people. What's interesting with this first fruits is that without the fruit being waved before the Lord, the rest of the field was known uh, or seen as unkosher. They couldn't harvest the rest of the field until the first fruits had been presented. And this will come in interestingly here in just a minute. Because as Paul writes, once again in 1 Corinthians, he says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. John writes as well, he says, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. In a sense, Jesus is that sheaf of grain that is waved before the Father, and because of that one sheaf, the rest are made right and holy. The rest of the harvest is able to be gathered in once that first fruits is brought before the Lord. We see this pictured as Jesus, as he came and offered his life for ours. In fact, every Sunday, time we gather together, we are celebrating first fruits. As Paul even reminded, he is the one who resurrected from the dead. And because he's resurrected from the dead, guess who else is going to get to resurrect from the dead? You and I. Because of his first fruits, of him being the one that shone the way. The final harvest of the springtime or the feast of the springtime is the feast of weeks. Now, I forgot to mention on the first three there, they're all very intertangled closely together time-wise. Passover's 14th, unleavened bread begins on the 15th, and the Feast of first fruits happens on the Sabbath within that week of unleavened bread. So they're all just like, poof. We think Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's is close. Uh, I mean, these are all within a week. This one, though, is 50 days later. 50 days later. And it is as well a celebration much like the first fruits. It's a celebration of the harvest, the wheat harvest, the last harvest. And instead of bringing sheaves of grain before the Lord, they bring two loaves of bread made with yeast even. And some have argued, why would God put yeast in there when he's just had the Feast of Unleavened Bread 50 days prior? But the point is, in this might be debatable in different circles, but the reality is God is showing the people that God doesn't just take care of their basic needs, but his provision is even above and beyond. And they take these two loaves of bread and wave them before the Lord, once again thanking God for his richness. And at this feast, there is lots of good sweet food. How many like sweet food? Rich, creamy, milky, sweet, mmm. Okay? It makes you want to go get one of those five-day-old donuts out there. Um, This was a synopsis of the idea of what did God say? He said, I'm giving you a land that's flowing with milk and honey. And they are, in a sense, on the Feast of Weeks saying, God, we're here. We're in this land you've given us flowing with milk and honey. Thank you, God. But even greater than that, this was the true remembrance of this feast was that of God's giving of the law. This was God's opportunity when he had given the law, and so the people commemorate that. They remember when on Mount Sinai and they gathered around in the desert and God handed Moses the law. 
That's what they are celebrating in the Feast of Weeks. Guess what happens? Whoops, I went too far ahead, sorry. As we recognize God's giving of the law to the children of Israel, we also see in the New Testament, Acts chapter 2, what did God give? His Holy Spirit on the Feast of Weeks, on the day of Pentecost. Why did God give the people the law? Because they were slaves. They had no idea how to live. They had no idea how to govern themselves. God says, here's a law of how to live and how to live in a way that's going to bless your brother and sister around you and also bring glory to God. What did God do on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts chapter 2? He sent his Holy Spirit to empower us and to give us what we have need of to live a life that is holy and honorable to God and as well empower us to be witnesses for him. So amazing connections between these feasts. All right, we're going to get to the fall feasts now. And these usually happen in September, October time and on our calendar. And there is a gap between the spring and the fall. And many scholars would say that is, in a sense, a picture of God's work in the church right now. And we'll talk more about that. But the reality of God, there's a break here. The Feast of Trumpets is our first feast. And the Feast of Trumpets, as it says, is about trumpets. Listen to this, verse 23. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, on the first day of the seventh month, you are to have a day of rest, a Sabbath, sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blasts. Do no regular work, but present an offering made to the Lord by fire. There's trumpets involved. This is, whoops, this is the new year for the Jewish people. This is a huge celebration of getting ready for the new year. It's a new moon. Their calendar's on the lunar system. And so this is a key part of that. So they eat a lot of sweet things like apples dipped in honey and stuff like that to show that the sweetness of the year ahead that is to come. The shofar, which is the ram's horn type of thing that is blown as a trumpet. And just like for us today, when a trumpet is blown, it's a proclamation of something that is to come. So that is what this day of trumpets is about, is proclaiming something to come. Also, trumpets are a picture of royalty, that when a trumpet is blown, a king is entering, and we see that. The Feast of Trumpets for the children of Israel was a remembering that God is king of the universe. As the trumpets would sound, they would be reminded, God is king of all of this. They were around people that had their gods that were gods of the lakes or gods of the mountains or gods of the sky or gods of the trees. They said, no, our God is the God of the universe. He's over everything. And the amazing, you know, very easy picture to make is that Jesus is the soon coming king. And we'll talk more about that here in just a moment. First Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul says it, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voices of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Later in 1 Corinthians 15, he writes, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. The feast of trumpets is an incredible picture of the day that's coming when Christ comes again and the trumpets will be blown. The sixth feast, 
and I know we're moving kind of quickly here, but we're going to get through this, is the Day of Atonement, also known as Yom Kippur in Hebrew circles. This follows very closely behind the Feast of Trumpets. And this is the holiest day of the year as the people ponder and consider their sin and ask for God's covering and God's forgiveness. In fact, Yom Kippur means the day of covering as God would cover over their sins. Like I said, people spend the day in reflection of crying out to God in repentance. Pastor Dave said he was over in Israel a few years ago on the Day of Atonement, and he says you wouldn't believe it on a main thoroughway in Tel Aviv, there's not a car to be seen. Everybody stays home, even though some may not practice the Day of Atonement as it was meant to be, yet it's still observed as the holiest day on the calendar. Nothing takes place. Two key figures in the Day of Atonement are two goats. One goat is, or both goats are brought to the priest. One goat is offered as a sacrifice for the sins of the people. The second goat, the priest, the high priest will take his hands and lay them over the goat and will recite the evils and the sins of the people of Israel. And once he's done, that goat will be led out of the camp, out of the city, and led out into the desert, never to be seen again. And the amazing picture is, is that God not only forgives our sins, but he puts them aside, never to be seen again. You think of the picture of Jesus as the sacrificial lamb and as that scapegoat. You wonder where our word scapegoat came from. It came from that idea of that goat. He's the scapegoat. He's taking our sins away. Norton says it well. He says, Jesus fulfilled the promise of both goats. He paid the penalty for our sins, and he removed our sins as well. Later on in the series, we're going to have a message specifically centered on the Day of Atonement, so I'm not going to take any more time with it uh, today. The final feast is the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths. And uh, let me just read a few passages in Leviticus 23, verse 33, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, On the 15th day of the seventh month, the Lord's Feast of Tabernacles begins, and it lasts for seven days. Verse 40, skipping down there. On the first day, you are to take choice fruit from the trees and palm fronds, leafy branches and poplars, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Verse 42, Live in booths for seven days. All native Israelites are to live in booths, so your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in booths when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. An interesting festival that primarily focuses on these booths, that they are to live in them, to remind them, to remind them of where they've come from, that they have through the desert experience of 40 years in the desert, had to live in booths. But now, God has brought them to their, their home. Christ is ultimately pictured as the God who comes and he lives among his people. Ezekiel even prophesied that. He said, my dwelling place will be with them, verse 27 there. I will be their God and they will be my people. 
God's dwelling with his people will be forever. He will tabernacle with them. And that's what this, this feast looks forward to, the time when God and his people will be in perfect communion forever. Jesus came, God incarnate, and lived among us. Credible picture of this idea of the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, if this topic at all interests you, and some over your head, others over your head, I've had different ones like, I can't believe, I've never heard that before, and others like, I, you know. If you are interested in more learning more about this, here's a great little book I encourage you, Unlocking the Secrets of the Feast by uh, Michael Norton. Uh, it's $9.95, I think, on Amazon. Everything's $9.95 on Amazon. But a um, uh, short little book, about 85 pages, but great insight into these feasts and what they're all about. Now, if we were to stop and just stop the message right there, we'd walk home with some good information and maybe some new insights we hadn't thought of before. But the main insight I want us to leave with today is to realize that every one of these feasts and God's order of everything all was pointing to one person and his name is Jesus Christ. God doesn't just do things by chaos and sporadicness to say, oh, let's just have some feasts. Let's, no, he did these with a purpose. Jesus was the Passover lamb that was sacrificed for our sins. Jesus is the one who takes away the leaven in our life and offers forgiveness of our sins. Jesus is the one who resurrected from the dead that gives us the hope of eternity with him. And Jesus is the one who sent his spirit to empower us yet today as we look at in the Feast of Weeks. It's interesting, some scholars looking at the time frame of even Jesus' passion would relate those first four to the actual days of different events in Jesus' life. On the Passover, many believe Jesus died at the very time that the Passover lambs were being slaughtered at the temple. He died at the very same time. What an amazing picture. He was buried on the day of unleavened bread, beginning of that feast. And he rose on the first fruits feast. What an incredible picture of God saying, I've got this in control. And then 50 days later, the Holy Spirit shows up on the Feast of Weeks. Coming in the fall, the Feast of the Trumpets, we see the amazing picture that Jesus is coming again. That he just, he didn't just, wasn't symbolized in those, he fulfilled those first four. And let me tell you, friend, if he fulfilled those, I think we better be looking at the next one. The Feast of Trumpets. When that trumpet sound, will we be ready? For the king is coming. The day of atonement when God will judge the sins of the people. The wonderful hope we have is that our sins have been cleansed, they've been forgiven because of the Passover land, lamb. And then the wonderful hope that the Feast of Tabernacles brings us that one day we will be together with the Lord forever in eternity, living next door to God. How would you like to say that's your, that's your neighbor? I'm live, I live next door to God. You say that now, people are like, whoa, okay. But there's a day coming when you're gonna get to live next door to God. So what ought all this knowledge to do for us? Like I said, if Jesus fulfilled the first four, we better get ready for the next three and be ready for what God has ahead 
See, just as all that God does points to him, we need to ask ourselves in our own lives, is everything that we're doing pointing to him? We've challenged us as a church. We've told you over and over. We've, we've spoken of ourselves many times. How we work, how we live with our families, how we speak, how we think ought to reflect Jesus Christ. Maybe even on this 4th of July holiday coming up, may we have an opportunity to bring the reflection that Jesus Christ is in our life to others. A lot of information this morning. And I hope I haven't bored you to death. Looks like everybody's still kind of awake. A few of you have been nodding off, but I, hey, I would be too if I was listening to me. So, but I hope you've gotten the reality of what God is doing. He's got a plan and he's got a purpose and he's wanting us to see the beauty of the weaving that he's doing to prepare us for what he has ahead. Amen? Amen. Well, we're going to get ready to take our morning offering here this morning and uh, offer to the Lord our first fruits, what God's blessed us with. Like I said, every Sunday we get to celebrate Christ's resurrection as first fruits, but we as well get to bring before the Lord the first fruits of how He's blessed us. And at NBC, we look at this as worship. This isn't just, oh, another thing in our service. This is worship. And this morning, I pray you'll take that attitude as we bring to the Lord uh, the ways that He has blessed us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you today. I thank you for your word. I thank you even for Leviticus and these feasts that remind us even today, most of us sitting here as Gentiles, we're not Jews, we're not following that, that order, but yet, Lord, they remind us as followers of you that, God, you are in charge, and you've got a plan, and you've got a purpose. And God, that is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Let us never lose sight of that, O oh Lord. Let us always have our eyes on Jesus. And then, Lord, let our lives reflect you as well. God, thank you for how you've blessed us as a people. We're able to party this week, even on the 4th of July. God, you've blessed us. You've given us freedom. you provided. God, we now bring back to you just a small portion just to say, God, thank you. And may, Lord, your name be heralded all across this globe. In Jesus' name, amen.